The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Discretion is advised. If you're trans, intersex, or genderqueer, and are a victim of a disaster, we can help with our Trans Disaster Relief Fund. And if you're going to college, university, or trade school, you can apply for one of our scholarships. Located in Houston, Texas, we hold weekly support group meetings and run the only community-owned transgender archive that's open to the public. If you'd like to learn more about any of this, just go to transadvocate.com. Hey everybody, I'm Alexis. This is the Trans Advocate Podcast, and today we have a whole room full of people. We've got our regular... Robin Mack. And we have another sometimes regular... Sometimes regular. Kuma. And we have a special guest... Super guest. Ashton P. Woods. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... What we want to talk about a little bit today is Ashton is running for city council, and I figured we'd start with that because Ashton's been around Houston for a really long time as an activist and is really well known for that. Um, I I think, you know, you do some stuff with Black Lives Matter down here Mm -hmm. and that. So why are you running for city council? So I'm a a human rights activist with a pro-black twist. So I founded BLM Houston. Uh, along with other friends as back Black Lives Matter Texas back in 2014. So this month, Black Lives Matter Houston is actually turning five years. Ooh. And um, this leads into why I'm running. While I actually do a lot of work in the black community, I've also taken the time to be an all-around human rights activist, which allows me to support folks who um, who are oppressed just like I am because if I'm to demand allyship or accompliceship or camaraderie from people who don't look like me or don't identify like me, I am to do the same thing. I'm just about treating people how they want to be treated. And I feel like there has time, the time now has come that we need people who will be unafraid to take positions and actually take action um, behind, well, put actions behind those words and take and taking those positions to actually get things done for the people who are most in need. Because if we don't increase the life chances or the overall quality of life for the people of Houston, especially those who are counted in the underemployed, those who are disenfranchised like trans folks, um, you know, a, a, a shout out to the AAPI community, for example, because when we talk about black and brown, with, there's enough, not enough cultural competency. So the reason why I'm running is to educate people and to create change on a policy level that affects everybody. I can no longer just take the street with the megaphone and sit in the back room at the table with folks and make suggestions that I know, along with other activists, would be helpful. I would rather actually have the seat at the table, hold the door open, and include the activist community in my decision-making process because that's what we need right now. So... What kind of problems do you see that Houston has that can be addressed by council? Off the top of my head, infrastructure. The city of Houston, and and, and you think about infrastructure as a public safety issue as opposed to crime. If you improve the infrastructure, what happens? You have large projects where you're actually building sidewalks in areas of Houston that are densely populated that don't have sidewalks and rebuilding roads and drainage to mitigate flooding. But not only are you doing that, you're creating jobs for people to work in construction. You um, And I think that that's where we start. Um, infrastructure, in terms of transit, we need to increase the availability of transit. I use transit a lot. We need, you know, we got the Metro Next program coming up. I'm very familiar with it. But I do believe that we need more commuter rail and light rail um, as opposed to bus rapid transit. I know that bus ra- rapid transit is a cheaper fix. But here's the thing. If you keep going to the dollar store and buying the same thing, once a month because the one you bought before doesn't break it sounds like you just need to go ahead and take what you spend at the dollar store and buy that one good spoon so that the handle doesn't keep popping off <laughs> um so i think you know 
there are cheap remedies and fixes to different things, but I think if we start there, um, that would allow us to mitigate multiple problems at once or treat multiple problems at the source. Um, one of the bigger things that I've noticed that we also need is to make sure that we are educating people about healthcare and access to healthcare. I believe that as a candidate and as an activist who has been without um, health insurance since 2014, that we can no longer wait on the federal government. We can no longer wait on the state or Harris County to improve the services that are already there. The city of Houston has four clinics for 2.1, maybe 3 million people. Maybe we've already surpassed Chicago, but it's not enough. And we need to make sure that we partner with existing entities and um, and use what we already know how to do and expand our healthcare network so that it can have give access to people uh, by creating a network of mental health and physical health, whereby you are not actually going for reactionary treatment. You are going for preventative care. So that way, the emergency room wait times have been time won't be two, three hours. Somebody won't be bleeding out as St. Luke's because no one cares enough to say, oh, we got to look beyond the paperwork. This is an actual emergency room. This is an actual situation. Um, and I also believe that in law enforcement, we don't necessarily need more police. I believe that what needs to happen is, is we, we need more transparency on how the city negotiates its contracts with everybody. I believe that workers' rights should be on the table, and I believe that city workers should be able to unionize along with other workers in the city. And as a city council member, I do believe in making sure that we take the measures and appropriate steps to fix everything that I just mentioned and then some, but also use my position of power to work with other elected officials who are in particular offices and have different skill sets that can directly impact, like the state legislature, which could be well you know turned over in 2020 where we can reverse the stance that texas has as a right to work state um the other thing that we need to be doing is banning the box um for um non-violent crimes we need to be you know um retroactively reversing or decriminalizing marijuana as opposed to just legalizing it meaning people people's records should be expunged prosecutions to stop there are steps that we can take and as a city council member i can push for those things without an issue because that is what my within my purview and i think people forget that in terms of law enforcement which is what i want to go back to i think that needs to be i know we need police but i think that needs to be a transparency process and the meet and confer agreement between hpd does not build an accountability and does not support the idea that we have a community advisory board that um really is toothless but this just gives people who do bad things more power to be corrupt. And I think all negotiations should be uh, should be public. And I do also believe that we need to look at ethics. And what I mean is, is we need to look at the city charter, look at what is defined as criminal and see if it actually works. We need to look at the city charter and look at what's conflicting and what's not working. We need to do a revamp to how we look at things. And finally, I would say that we need to be looking at um revamping the type of government that we have in terms of uh, mayoral form of government, which is a strong form where he's the only person currently, Sylvester Turner, can add things to, um, you know, an agenda and the sitting city council members can't really do much. But if we shift some of the power to the ability uh, to give the council members an ability to put things on the agenda and also by using a re referendum um remedy that we have in the city charter that allows us to put things on the ballot when the city council can't move or do anything because we have an obstructive mayor. Yeah, I, you know, that that's one of the things I was going to bring up was that 
you know, we, we are a strong mayor form of government, and I know that's frustrating for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you think you can get around that? Because you do have to work with the mayor right now. Right. I, I plan on being a team player, but at the same time, here's the thing. I've been saying this for years. You've even heard me say it. We, we have a remedy that allows us to put things on the ballot when we get petition signatures. So if the city council won't do it, if the mayor won't do it, we have a remedy and we can allow the people to vote for it. A great example of that is the firefighters referendum, uh, Prop 1. I voted for it, but I do feel like they should have had a funding mechanism. So one of the things that I would look at is strengthening that provision in our city charter by saying include financing mechanisms, you know, include clear language, because those are the things that we run into when we have ordinances. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, even with the term limits that we now have, that was a lawsuit about, about that because they felt like there were some folks who felt like the, the wording was vague. Right. They they messed over us and through trans people under the bus, for example, with the Houston Equal Rights Ordinance because wording was vague and people were too afraid to actually take a position in the stand and say, no, this is wrong and this is why this is wrong. And I plan on doing that. Because that's what we need. Yeah, so, I mean, I'd, I'd be really blunt. I did not support the firefighters' referendum because it had no funding. And there were a lot of things that the way they were worded were way open to interpretation. Right. And and we all know that both sides are going to interpret them totally differently, so it's just going to be in court forever. Right. And and so, you know, I, I think the big problem with the referendums are they aren't well-drafted frequently. Right. And, and we got to get rid of the revenue cap, too, because I think, you know— with That's going to be hard. One of the reasons—well, also, but also one of the reasons why I think about reviewing the charter and looking at—that also includes looking at the financial budget. I'm totally unopposed to bringing in some forensic accountants to look at where the money is going in the city of Houston, for example, when we talk— talk about decriminalizing that looks like taking away the civility ordinances that attack homeless people as opposed to cheating treating homelessness as the problem um why would you make it an ordinance that so that you can give a ticket to someone or force someone to have their belongings in the three by three by three box right, right by banning encampments yeah, what, what, but, but but what would you do but for the also homeless? but see here's the thing though the problem with that is is that I already do stuff for the homeless. It's not about what what I do. It's about what I will continue doing. And and the thing is, is that I'm pointing out with the funding issue is is this. They did this and they they claim the claim to fame for supporting of these ordinances that were pre-existing some before Turner got in that he strengthened and also strengthened under Anise Parker uh, beyond Bill White. And some of these new things that they've added to it, it says to me, they they promised everybody we were going to build housing. The housing never came. Right. So when I talk about looking at forensic accountants, when I talk about all these things, you put them together. It looks like Ashton being a city council member asking the questions of where's the housing? Where's the money? Can we do this? And also as a city city council member, following the example of Larry Green, the way we deal with homeless folks is the same way we were able to add a new expansion to Hobby Airport. We work with our local partnerships and with people who are continually ignored but doing the work. That looks like bringing people in who actually are firsthand homeless and also people who work in homelessness. I'm not talking about people who work in the homeless shelters uh, or who run the homeless shelters and making six figures a year. I'm talking about the people on the ground who take from their own pocket, they put it on the back of a truck, and they go out there and they barbecue and they feed and they give out cold water and they do food not bombs and they do all these different things. I want to continue to do that. So my job is to make it easier for people to get permits in lieu of getting rid of these ordinances. Because a lot of times, they tell you you can't feed more than seven people without a permit in the city of Houston because they that was a lot of anti-homeless ordinances that came from that right that's right. that's anti-homelessness so and you mitigate by 
using the power and the key that you have to open the door. You hold that door open by making it easier for the activists when they want to have protests and folks who want to feed the homeless. Hey, let me help you get this. Let me help you with this permit. If you call me and you say you need this, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is how I will use my privilege and the position of power to help homeless people. Because if we don't do that, we're just letting what's been happening happen. And then also, you know, Montrose Center, all these different groups that are building housing for senior citizens, LGBT people. We need to start building transitional housing for the homeless people. I want to build at least four to six centers that have showers that employ people who are homeless to keep them maintained, have facilities there that give them access to services and care, uh, medical te- you know testing for HIV, medical care, mental health checkups, and you know veteran services. We need something like that where people can have a locker, put their things in, and transition to transitional housing and create a program that would allow them to either be on housing vouchers or, or to transition into an apartment by way of creating jobs programs that would also, like I mentioned earlier, be a pipeline into helping people to improve infrastructure by hiring the people who contribute to the fabric of the city. And, and I think know, that's what needs to happen. A lot of people are uh, talking about some of the stuff San Antonio's doing that's very much along that line. So mm-hmm. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. yeah and okay. the city paid, I think the mayor paid a few million dollars to study that project right. and did not implement it. And I want my money back. If that works, let me know because I haven't been able to do that. One of the interesting things that I think a lot of people don't realize when you know we're talking about Oh, we have these, you know, community health centers and, and, you know, you talked about the paperwork and you talked about the bureaucracy. A lot of the folks that I'm working with are homeless and they're sex workers. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them have documentation, some of them do not. But one of the biggest hindrances for a lot of people is that paperwork. Something as simple as not having an address. If you don't have an address that you can put down and you don't have a letter of homelessness from an organization... You can't access healthcare services, even at community clinics. So having a transitional housing program would give somebody an address, would give someone access to not just healthcare and a way to access medication, both for preventative right. healthcare and treatment, but also something as simple as having that means that they can have mail, which means they can get a paycheck if they have a job. It right. also means that they can register to vote. Right. You know, Things like that are so important. And for folks that have never been homeless uh, for any extended period of time, they're things that they're really, really ignorant about. Mm-hmm. And so when we we have people that have that knowledge and put them in political positions, it makes a huge difference because a lot of the people that are there on city council have no understanding of what that's really like. Well, those people don't look at the gallon of milk when they open a cooler and they don't and they damn sure don't check. Um, their account before they pump gas. They put their card in, put their zip code in, get back in their car and play with their phone. People like us, we can't even do that. And if we have a car, we're struggling to pay the insurance. So you think about folks in the context of economic privilege, right? In the context of, of having the privilege of being educated, maybe, and having access to different rooms that the people who they are supposed to be helping and representing don't have. And, you know... As a formerly homeless LGBT youth, I think it's incumbent upon us to find ways to make sure that we look at helping minors, um, you know, and eventually having to lobby the state so that when we help people who are 14, 15, 16 years old, we don't have to call the parents. Because I remember being that 14, 15 year old going to Covenant House in New Orleans and them calling my, my, you know, my guardian and saying, 
hey, can he stay here? And them saying no. Mm-hmm. And then cons- and then subsequently, consequently having to stay on the street, exposing myself to being raped at 16 years old because of having to have somewhere to, to stay or lay my head and to be able to eat. Because people prey on people like us. People, people see our strengths as threats, but they also see our vulnerability and our need as weaknesses. So there's a unique susceptibility that folks like us have. Um, and I think it's now time for us to be in the forefront to say, listen, these things are happening to us. Yes, you've had your times up. You've had your me too. You have all these things, but we have not been included in all of those issues. And those things directly affect us. Just like I have to constantly argue with some black folks that there are black LGBTQ people. We are not a they. <laughs> we are not a them unless you're referring to our pronouns and we are non-binary. We are not animals and we are not less than and you will respect us. And that's the one of the other reasons why I'm running because I am not afraid to let somebody know you will not trample on my community. Even if there are people I disagree with in my community, you don't get to talk to my family like that. We get to argue. You go have a seat in the corner you know i know this to be true about him <laughs> yes we, we all know that to be yes. true and, and we don't totally agree but that's right. okay yeah. i think everyone at this table has had moments where we agree on some things and disagree yeah. on others exactly yeah, I mean, but, but we still talking out the greater good is is at the end of the day even if all of us look different and appear different and identify different we're still going through a, a phase of time where people ignored the Trumps in our backyard so long that we have a Trump in the White House. Yes. Yes. And those people have been detrimental to us from day one, and it's time for us to address the issues. We saw what we can do in 2018. Now put your money where your mouth is and focus on your local elections, because if you can't take care of home, you can't take care of the field. And if people want to help with your election, what do they do? So you can visit www.ashtonpwoodsforhouston.com. Or you can go, um, you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Ashton P. Woods. I'm very easy to find and very easy to Google. (laughs) And don't forget to donate because I'm a grassroots activist with over 300, no, 400 unique donors from the people in 28 other states. Not special interests, not associations, but the people. And that's who I represent. So I mm-hmm. hope I have your support. Yeah, and I didn't want to forget to get that in. So oh, yeah. I figured we'd do it now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, one of the things, um, as you mentioned early on, you know, you started Black Lives Matter Houston quite a while ago. Um, what kind of activities is BLM doing here and, and the things that you're following? To be completely honest with doing what we've always done from day one. You know, I think people look at the Black Lives Matter movement at this at this as this thing where you yell at people to go get a job on Facebook or on any other social media site or on the street when they're protesting with that bullhorn. But what they don't see is, is that a lot of people in this movement across this country and around the world are working for government officials and, and working with government officials at every level to change things. And one of the biggest things that we've ever done has been our involvement in the Sandra Bland Act, which is now state law for 27 million people. All 27 million Texans benefit from a law that was supported and helped to be curated by several activists, including myself. The, um, and also there are other things that happen, different laws. So we spend time when the legislature is in session and there's not much gridlock where, you know, they know you're coming for a lobbying day and they go on hide. I go when nobody's there and I sit in the spaces and the places where people who call themselves conservatives and Trump supporters and Democrats alike and we sit down and we iron things out. And I believe in strange bed, bed fellowships. Not enough for me to just be your friend, but 
I don't have to like you to do something with you um, in the context that you're constantly attacking my community in the context of it being LGBT or black or brown or along any marginalized lines. If we can get this from you, okay, cool. Now, yeah, I might have to come back two hours later and speak out against this other bill you're trying to push, but let's do this. And you know what? I have the power to say that word, though, that that wording, that paragraph shouldn't be in there, or this should be worded like this. And that's what I've been able to do, working with city government and county government, right? And then also election influence. Not only do we register people to vote, bring people to the polls, we educate people about the about who to vote for. We put out endorsements. I mean, I put out my own endorsements, but proud to announce that Black Lives Matter Houston will be announcing an endorsement slate for the Houston City Municipal Elections. And it will be based on not just screening, because we won't be screening. We will base it on the work that has been you know, on the ground from people who have been on the ground doing the work, not the people who hide behind the salary once a month paycheck or the every two week paycheck who have to meet metrics for their boss and, and bring in people like us to talk about our tears and our fears and never get paid for it. Maybe get a $25 cash card so we can go to McDonald's and eat or something like that because we're cash poor, and, you know, and possibly homeless. But now it's, we got to get past exploitation. Now we have to actually serve people. And that's what that comes from. Okay, good. I mean, one of the, uh, we, we have a group, TFA has a group in voter.us that we do our own endorsement card because mm-hmm. we, we, we look at who we think are the best candidates. And they're the best candidates for us, but in general, that means they're the best candidates. Right, and, and they think I forget that I've worked with, I think a lot of people forget that I've worked with and consulted a lot of the candidates and elected oh, yeah. officials who are now in office. And, you know, they forget that, and now that I'm running for office, it's like, oh, yeah, that's right, he's actually smart. <laughs> well, and this is, yes, yes, it's, this is not the first campaign that you've actually assisted with here and elsewhere, but... um I think it's really great that people are finally bringing up where did all that money go? You know, there have been times where they have tried to open up like um, youth homeless shelters. Well, where are they? You know, and we've sometimes it's been during times where we've had to do deal with things like Harvey. So we haven't had time to go research that or follow the money, you know. And imagine being undocumented in a disaster. And being oh. <laughs> afraid to go and get help and living in a moldy place because you don't have yeah. a remedy because your renter's protections are actually because they feel like renter's rights are just for the American citizens, mm-hmm. quote unquote. And even if they're here, quote unquote, legally, you know, what the hell is legal immigration in the first place, right? right. So, but neither here nor that, but it brings right. up a whole myriad of things. And at this point, we have to take the sledgehammer or the jackhammer into the actual foundation of the problem jack that shit up and build something better so yeah. that we can support our society because you know as they say in sociology um social problems create social change and a lot of people are tired and it's time for people to wake up and rise up and take their own life into their own hands not the bootstrap bs i'm talking about us standing in solidarity and looking for the greater good while addressing the issues we have with each other intra and extra community wise um, in the process because we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We and can. you know, I got I in mean, that question. I'm glad of, that you're running. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm totally, I'm totally for yeah. you. And, 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 and one of the questions that we ask people is like, well, how's it going in your district for you with your district? Right. Cause I mean, it's, it's not a district. It's the whole city. You're running at large. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that, that, that's okay. a lot harder. Okay. 
Okay. You know, a lot of people ask. I guess I've been thinking of Nick with District C and, and right. think, okay. But who's yeah. running at large now, too, by the oh, way. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. so, uh, you know, for the naive people like myself, like, what's the, what's the difference? So there are 16 council seats, A through K, and then five at large. So can anybody vote for you? Anybody in the city of Houston can vote for me. And oh, to great. those I of you. finally get to vote for to, her. Like, to, I don't, I, you know, I'm like, I'm putting legal. you off because I'm like, I don't, I love you. I'll share your stuff, but I'll, I'll and I to, still need to donate. But like, I, I don't live over there, right? To clarify like, a legal issue. I think a lot of people here, I have a lot of international followers and so does this podcast. To those of you who live outside of the country, unfortunately, I cannot accept donations from you. It has to. You have to be a U.S. citizen to donate. So I wanted to be to make that clear because oh, Ashton can get into trouble <laughs> uh, for that, and you okay. won't have Ashton in the city council at all. <laughs> okay, so U.S. donors only. Yes. And then anyone in the city of Houston can vote for you. Yes. So so basically, wow. if uh, where have I been? I've been picturing your neighborhood. That's the thing because yeah. I've been picturing like Nick so, and the so, other so, boys. So if for some reason you know you can't donate to Ashton, but you just feel like donating, you know you can go to either Trans Advocate and donate yes. to the podcast <laughs> or tfahouston.com yes. and donate yes. to any of the things we yes. do or any other group that does a lot of trans uplifting. <sighs> Support your activists out there. When you see people Absolutely. put their cash tags up there and their PayPal links and their Venmo's and all mm-hmm. that stuff, they're not doing that for nothing. You could be saving someone's life mm-hmm. since we're talking about uh politics and money and support i have a question for you i'm ready all right are lgbtq PACs and advocacy orgs hesitant to support lgbtq candidates that are not independently wealthy if so are there organizational policy changes that can be changed to address that hell yeah that's the problem <laughs> I'm being punished by a few organizations because I'm too poor and I'm too black and I'm too loud. It's not enough that I'm actually gay. See, here's the thing. If you don't make white people comfortable or people who are in a power structure, even those comfortable black and brown people out there, because this is not just white people. This is an all and all of the above, all, all encompassing thing, right? <laughs> and so when you think about, you know, the aspect of folks, what I say is when I talk about people of color, black and brown folks, as white adjacent, so to speak. Um, and what I I, what what happens is is they think you should raise this much money and have support from these different groups and poll a certain way. But here's the thing. I'm running in a predominantly black and brown city, and it looks as though that there are people in control of a status quo that don't want to let go of that, and they see me as a threat to it. Well, I am the fucking threat. I was about to say, you are a threat. That's a good <laughs> and, thing. And, and so with that, I think the organizations, here's what needs to happen, and I've said this for years, and I've even written about this over time on my blogs. The organizations, yes, it is the responsibility of the candidate to go to those organizations if they seek their endorsement. No organization should be running behind anybody. But the double-edged sword is, is that I don't have to seek your endorsement because, for example, like the JLBT caucus, yeah, it's nice that you can sit some people at West Gray and a couple other voting centers and send out mail, but if you don't come with Phil boo-boo, you can't help me. And there are a lot of people who actually have raised two and three hundred thousand dollars over different election cycles, got all of the endorsements because they met those measures and metrics of what um, what looks like a traditional candidate and what makes you feel safe and comfortable, so that you can still be a frog in boiling water for four more years of nothingness and entropy and stagnation, or you can have me. Yeah. You don't think well, you're going to be quiet and stagnant when you're on council? Stagnant water becomes poisonous. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, my well runs deep and my water's always flowing. 
And how, how are people responding to you at large then? People have been responding to me well. Okay. Um, I've been getting a lot of volunteers. Um, and, and you know. Because now we're talking even a wider <laughs> grid of Houston. But you know what like, though? That's a lot. The thing, a lot of people forget. And they always ask this question. How does how's Ashton going to be able to appeal to white people? Well, how does the same Ashton get a bunch of people, white people, to a Black Lives Matter protest? So much so to the point right. that a police officer will ask you, how did you get these white people out here? They hear the things you're saying, right? Well, because they're people. Right. Forget the rest of it. I really right. don't care. Right. And But see, here's the thing, though. We still live in a society where even, even as I see your ideal is noble, there's 10 more people that look like you who don't feel the same way, and I have to contend with them people. Not as a candidate, but as a person. Mm-hmm. And when I saw what happened at the caucus meeting in pictures, I was like, this is exactly what Houston looks like. Look, it's River Oaks. And white passing people. But look over here on the other side. You have the disabled. You have the able-bodied. You have the short, the tall, the brown, the black, the white, the rainbow. Everybody was on my side. And you know the other thing that I noticed? The people who, who was on my side at that time, for example, at that caucus meeting, are people who are active in the community on a regular basis. The other people on the other side of the room, they only come around when there's elections going on, when they need to raise money, and when they want to write a check to whoever they, whoever they write it to to make themselves feel good about their lack of addressing the issues that are going on around them you got to step out of your bubble and i'm carrying a big ass needle and i'm going to pop that motherfucker (laughs) i have another question oh no (laughs) not another one okay okay so (laughs) on your website filling in for Kristen. yes i am uh on your on your website something caught my attention i noticed that it says that uh, at the age of 15 you took part in founding one of the first gay straight alliances ever in new Orleans. In a New Orleans area high school. Yeah. So I was integral in suing my high school school district to get a gay straight alliance. Uh-huh. And in doing so, that was my one of my first forays into activism. Yeah. But I found that as an adult, some of the lessons that I learned in doing that ring true to the same kind of work yes. that I'm doing right now. And I wanted to know, is that true for you and if so what what experiences what is the same yes it is true i mean it was rough for me as a freshman to be a founding member of the first gay straight alliance in a high school in new orleans at a predominantly black school in the public school system for that matter i had teachers come at me i had the key club come after me as per usual you know the preteen conservatives uh as per usual um but it was fun we started by by the time we started we had like five people at the end of that school year we had over 30 members maybe 50 we had teachers wanting to sponsor us i mean by the end of the year we had help um our pregnant classmates because we we centered ourselves but we allied with different groups we made sure our pregnant classmates who got kicked out of their house had somewhere to live when we did sex education training and none come in and teach people how to have sex how to put on condoms, how to, you know, what, why it's important to wear lubrication, these different things. And I think, you know, as, with me running as a city council member, that informs me that as a person who is now actively and openly living with HIV for the last 11 years, along with other people who might have to deal with STIs and STDs of different forms of persuasions, that there is a lack of education. We can talk about the prep commercials. We can talk about all that stuff. Now you see me stuff. But at the end of the day, I feel like people with HIV, for example, based on my lessons learned from, from my high school experience and other issues as well, 
are being left behind and we're not being talked about them when we try to talk about ourselves to make sure that we reduce stigma and actually educate people, the ears turn off. And and I am here to be able to make folks uncomfortable and to turn that active ear on. You don't have to like how I said it. You don't have to like how I conveyed it. But I said what I said. And I think that's what needs to happen. You know, it's, it's teaching me that... Even in running and even if I get elected, it's always going to be an educational experience. And I plan on taking my intersections along with yours and everybody else's and actually start talking about this. The city council members have allotted budgets to be able to do different outreach and different things. As an at-large member, that is a constituent services position. It is also considered part-time. So I still need to get out there and actually be with the people. I can't just be doing these little forms. I mean, we have to teach people and create access for people in order to actually take preventative measures to keep people from reaching uh, infectious diseases and different issues like that. You know, I mean, I think that's where it's at. The healthcare as far as the physical body and the mental health care aspect, teaching people about self-care, because I really truly believe that if you do that, you're increasing life chances, you're increasing quality of life, you're increasing the chances of a happy workforce, you're increasing the, the chances that crime would be reduced. You know, when you put people in positions where they can actually thrive and not be angry and not have to focus on, if I pay this light bill, will I have lunch? Will I be able to catch the bus to work? If I get up two hours and I still get to work five five minutes late to catch the bus and I left home two hours ago. We can't live like this anymore. We have to have something better. We can't keep claiming that we're a welcoming city when it feels as though all the mayor and everybody else who represents us does is, oh, we just, we're putting up new drapes, we're painting the house. Oh, and by the way, you got to stay in your room because they can't see you. We're a welcoming city though. You know, in talking with quite a few other council candidates of, of various areas and districts, et cetera, one of the big things that people keep talking about is flooding. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do you feel about flooding or is there what the city can or should do about it? As a as one of 200,000 people who um, became Houstonians because of a storm named Katrina, I think it is in our best interest to look at infrastructure through public safety, which is what I brought up earlier. Um Infrastructure as public safety or treatment as prevention. If, and stick with me, if we create a jobs program for the city of Houston, if we create a jobs program for the city of Houston and we say, listen, we will train you, we will have daycare, we will feed you twice a day, and at the end of the day, you get certified. We hire you to do these different programs like building out new drainage, like that would automatically help us to improve the streets and the sidewalks. That's better accessibility for pedestrian folks. But in the meantime, it would allow us to bring people in, hire them, and push our projects out instead of waiting 10 years down the line for the next flood. Um, and what that looks like also is this. It looks like investing in pumping systems. It looks like building a, a dredging and widening out our, our current bayous, and I call them canals, because some of those things are not bayous. Um, I know what a bayou is. I've been in a bayou and in a swamp, and you can't even swim in a bayou, let alone kayak. So right. at the end of the day... Why are they doing that? Right. At the end of the day, we, we need to look at this flood water as something that could be cleaned and reused and repurposed for drinking water. We need to reuse, we need to start using our aquifers and our water storage facilities again. I saw a picture of the Chronicle of an aqueduct 
uh, near downtown Houston that is not even in use anymore. Could you imagine what we can do when it gets hot and the city claims, oh, it's so hot and we're in the middle of layoffs, like when Anise was in and she and the parks uh, staff got cut and laid right. off? Imagine right. not having to lay off the you parks and staff because you got water to water the plants and the greenery and you got and, and you can function and service the people of Houston without telling people, oh, you got to conserve your water. We got to stop being lazy. I've walked through that aqueduct. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, we got to stop being lazy about how we look at science and actually bring in the real scientists to actually tell us what really needs to happen and look at the projections as what they are. Um, and not wait, for wait, what wait. we so think they could be. You're actually talking about science as opposed to this weird fiction we keep hearing? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> not well, pseudoscience, but real science. Like, bring in engineers. We need to look at how, okay, can we divert this water from just going to the bay? Are there areas in this state that we can sell this cleaned water to that can be used to water their plants and, and give people their wa- better water supply when they're out? Because we've been running the city as if the people who we're supposed to be working for live in the woodlands, live in Sugarland, live in Rice Village or Memorial Village or Headwood Village or Bel Air, and they don't contribute to the fabric of the city of Houston. They're just surrounded by it, and it's time for them to step up, and it's also time for us to actually stop letting people run over us because everything that happens in Houston determines how the state of Texas goes. And as a matter of fact, it's starting to determine how this country goes. Yeah, actually it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit earlier, you mentioned that it, you, you are thinking about doing, trying to do something so you can put people to work on infrastructure projects and those yeah. sorts of things for both training as well as getting the work done. Yeah. You're going to get a lot of pushback from a certain group of pretty good-sized companies with that. Not my problem. Okay. That, that's all I want to know. Right. <laughs> well, and I... The I'm, companies ain't paying me. I've been unemployed since 2014. As a as, as, since 2015, as a traditionally unemployed person, I would be considered unemployed, but I'm a political consultant, which means I'm running my own business. That makes me an entrepreneur. However, there are people out there who are still working two and three jobs. And I think that what we bring up is, is we need to reinforce OSHA protections. We need to make sure that we have our own environmental regulations and our own enforcement board so that we don't have to wait for the TEQ or, or the state of Texas or Harris County to do what they, whatever they need to do. And while we now have a friendly commissioner's court, we still don't have have to wait on them it is our job to serve and protect the people of houston that's what the oath says and with every fiber of my being i'm prepared to do that because i've always done it the other thing that we need to do is make sure that ethically speaking we are listening to the people who are closest to the problem and letting them in and i would also insofar as go as saying and making it very clear that with with new housing New housing, I think that we need to look at making sure that 30 to 40 percent of the units in these new apartment buildings are for low income housing, that th- that we that we do a lot of this by implementing a non-discrimination order with very strong housing protections and environmental protections. Mm-hmm. Right. Because we have to con- we also have to contend with protecting the LGBTQIA community, more specifically trans and non-binary folks. But we also have other groups to protect. Right. Because if you protect trans and non-binary folks from being discriminated and fired and refuse housing, that you're protecting everybody else. And when we do good, like they say, when black people do good, everybody does good. Right. You, you know, know one, one of the things with equality, because obviously I spend a fair amount of time talking about equality and thinking about it. I'm really starting to lean towards saying we need to reverse what our ordinances look like. We need ordinances that say, here's the three things you can discriminate on. The rest of them, no, you can't. Yeah, I remember you talking about that. And and, and literally, it's like, rather than having to identify all the things you can't, 
there's very few right. that we're okay with you discriminating based on. So let's list those. And right. People but will tell know, us the ones that are needed. People are not that. People are not people. People. Not everybody has the capacity to really look at it like that. And I think that, again, through education and how we word word things and how we present things to people, right? Right. So, obviously, the people in this room will be the first people I will invite to the table along with other folks because those ideas are what make us us. And people need to understand this status as LGBT, for example, is just a part of one of our many intersections that make us the whole. It's just a part of us. And if we can't drive down the street without warrant without you know, without windows down when it's a nice cool day and it's a beautiful day because there's an acid cloud over us from a uncontrolled burning fire from you know, twenty, thirty miles away. Or if, you know, there's eminent domain or you want to move a multi-purpose center from a perfectly good location instead of tearing it down and rebuilding it to a place that used to be a landfill, what does that say about you and how you feel about the people? What does that say about the land you're trying to grab and the, and the money that you tend to gain from it that won't go back to the people because you're not doing what you need to do because you're not regulating the super neighborhoods like you should be. They're getting all the money. The tears is getting all this money and doing what they want to do with it because we have a revenue cap instead of it going to the people and us being able to decide how it's spent, how firefighters and garbage truck drivers are having to ride around without AC and working overtime, for example, if you're working in sanitation and having us having to go out there, the, uh, Tara Taylor and a couple other people have been going out there feeding folks at 9, 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. And the mayor won't take responsibility for the fact that his own hired supervisory staff had been instructing his sanitation workers to dump recyclable material into a landfill where it shouldn't belong and now those people who are doing the work of picking the garbage out and actually out in this 101 degree weather with a heat index 115 doing this work for hours without a break at a lot of times and firefighters who just deserve pay raises but all in support of police de- of a police department that you have regulations over but don't want to dictate to what they can and can't criminalize. And those are things we have to change. Yeah, I think, you know, you know th- there's a lot of stuff that, A, we need transparency on that yeah. we don't have. And, and B, that in, in, my, in my view, most of it doesn't need to be thrown away, but it needs a lot of tweaking. Right. Right. And that's the thing. Like, if, if you change, if you, if, if you change a curfew, right? Like the curfew is up. I think the curfew the curfew should lapse. One. Yeah. Because I remember being a fifteen to sixteen year old child on the street who was considering emancipation and having to learn what emancipation was because, you know, people think that children shouldn't have to do these things, but we do. And it's time for you to take those rose colored glasses off and actually see people and for who they and what they really are and where they stand and if we actually looked at people for who they were and saw saw them where they were standing and actively listening and paying attention to what they were telling us and how their body language was we would actually be able to help exponentially more people than we've already been helping yeah i mean the curfew's got so many exceptions to it that it seems like it's only the naive kids that can't get around it Yeah, well, see, the problem is. Thing to say, you're good. Well, the problem is, is that we shouldn't have to be at this point where it's the right thing to say because this is like homelessness, or I don't like conflating homelessness with mental health, so to speak, because not everybody is mentally or physically disabled, right? We want to be clear about that. There's some people who choose to be homeless. There's some people who are homeless because of no fault of their own. But at the end of the day, 
people like that and other groups of people should have the ear of those in control and in power. Yeah, it, it seems like we have a lot of trouble with understanding overlaps, and mm-hmm. we're like, oh, it has to be all one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it's like GLBT community All stuff. of the above. It has LGBT. to be all of the above. Yeah, and it's like, no, it's not. Guess yeah. what? There's all flavors in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has to be all of the above. We, we, we have to start accepting that multiple truths can exist in the same continuum and that our existence and our life stories are not anecdotal. Right. Okay, so the other thing is, you know, we, we're basically listened to all over the world. What are you seeing just outside the U.S. and over the rest of the U.S.? I mean, we've, we've been talking Houston pretty mm-hmm. much right now, which I, I find really interesting. But we're seeing a lot of the same type things all over the world that seem to, to me at least, they seem to be blossoming up since our mm-hmm. current administration is not... Uh, it's not giving negative answers when people are saying we're going to do this and they aren't really doing the moral high ground, shall we say. Social problems create social changes. I stated that earlier. It's a, it's a good adage and it always makes a lot of sense. There are some people who are change agents of change or change agents. Some of them are on the opposite end of the spectrum from me. Some of them are in the middle. Some of them go to the extremes. But if you look at things through an internationalist lens, you'll see, like I tell people, the Black Lives Matter movement is also a global movement, right? Because African-American is a part of more of a larger African diaspora of people for who, who are not just immigrants, right? When you think about, in an internationalist way, the phone that I'm holding to call out Congo or a different or Russia or a Chinese or someone who's oppressing their people, where do the parts come from? When I go and swipe my card at a Walmart, if I have to go to Walmart because that's all I can afford, when I go to that Burger King or I'm sorry, that McDonald's, everything that we buy contributes to our slow death, right? Everything that we do. If we're just making a Facebook post and saying something without action behind it, we're contributing to our own demise in that context as a collective, right? Our collective consciousness on a, on a global level is starting to match in something they call globalization through anthropology, where you can't just apply through capitalism as it, as it currently stands. You also have to look at the socioeconomic status of people. You also have to look at how people interact with each other through a daily, on a daily basis, which means that you we have an onion to peel back and so many different layers that when we look at what's happening in Russia or Crimea or Ukraine or in Europe with the anti with the white nationalism that's rising and a lot of times you have um, you will see that in some places religion is starting to wane you'll see in some places different things and how those governments are structured and we use that as a litmus test to how we measure our own government as in are we turning into a police state is our president a fascist why isn't he speaking out against um against countries who who crack down on protesters who seek democracy because he's one of them and he wants to be like them we need people who don't want to be kings. We need people who are servants to their community. And I think that people all around the world are starting to notice that. Now, the flip side is that people like him and other other folks that he represent, because it's a representation of something that's much larger and older and pre-existing him. And that's the thing, right? The, the actual cause versus the biggest symptom, right? 
Like, he's more like the stroke as opposed to the heart attack. And America's literally <laughs> limping along right now. We still have our functionality, but a lot of our structures are, are um, crippled because of our leadership on various levels of government. And we see how that happened in other countries because America has had a hand in doing that to other countries. And now we see it. And now we have to open our eyes to the fact that even as U.S. citizens without power over people who can make unilateral decisions and elected positions, even if we voted against those people, it's still a reflection on us. And I think the world is starting to see that about us and we're starting to see that about them. And now everybody's noticing that our governments ain't shit and the people who represent us definitely ain't shit. Except for the people who actually who've more recently come in because they've been radicalized in a way that that makes them want to speak out and take a stand um, to to fight for the greater good and have people actually not just have equality, but also equity, um, which is important. And that's what we're starting to see is that accountability is becoming accountability and ethics is becoming the main thing for most people around the world right now. Like, no, you can't do that anymore. And you know, a, a lot of the people who push equality don't want <laughs> equity. Right. Exactly. They, and, and, they, they want that illusion. That. That, that illusion of representation. <laughs> like in the black community, people think that certain folks are going to get in because they're black. But the reality is, is we know who does what. We are an educated group of people. You know, the analogy that I would come, that I would think about is two things. I don't trust people who season their food before they taste it when they sit in front of you. If you if you reach for the salt and I'm pepper, with you. if you reach for the salt and pepper and you salt and pepper your food before you taste it to see what it actually needs, you make hasty decisions. And those are the kind of people who are so self absorbed that they do that that they think they're cooking at home is so much better when it's really boiled unseasoned chicken, right? <laughs> and that needs seasoning. But, you know, and then the other thing is, is this. My uncle would leave his nice car at home and go to work in his fishing truck because he would say, them white people don't need to know what I got. And as a child, growing up six, seven years old, hearing my black uncle say that and still seeing people say that now, people I went to high school with, like, no, they don't even know what you got because I've seen growing up what happens to people who show, especially if they're of color, that they got to, people will come and take it from you through various means. Oh, he showed up to work in that? No, we got to demote him. No, we got to promote such and such over him. This is the things that have happened, right? And then we got to think about why people who look like us or people who present like us or identify like us have to do those things. <laughs> Comes rolling over to my side of the table. <laughs> you know, who do, those, who do those kinds of things. Yes. Um have to front they have to front they have to front stage they have to put on facade they have to code switch to do these different things and we have we can't do that anymore we have to we actually have to like be like this is what this is this is an apple and that's an orange okay they both taste good but baby we talking about apples right now and the apples don't look that good yeah you know one of the things is that it's very difficult I for people who results. are oh <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I, I'm, I'm not sure what the phone said or why, but whatever. I found these results. We, I, I was going to say we could edit that out, but it sounds like a Kristen sound effect. I Actually, found these results. <laughs> <laughs> I found these results. <laughs> yeah, the uh, one of the things I think people don't understand is that once somebody gets into a position of authority, power, or comfort, it's really difficult 
It can be intoxicating. Yes, and it's really difficult to stand up and speak out in a way that might destroy that position. Mm -hmm. Um, That's why you bring in people who have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Yeah, but the problem with that is that you then have people who are sort of arrayed against you even though they aren't. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and it, again, it, it's quite difficult to, to be in those situations. You know the and, irony behind that? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Seriously. The no. irony behind that is this. There was a question that was asked to me earlier by Kuma. Here's where the relevance of, like, those social clubs and organizations like the caucus and other groups lose their relevance. They don't do outreach beyond voters, and they don't do outreach beyond their groups. And what happens is, is you have someone like me who has been working with folks, making sure elderly folks in different parts of the city have had their property taxes paid or their homeowners associations fee paid or helping people with housing vouchers or helping people find food, connecting people with HIV testing and doing the things that need to be done with, you know, integrity and, and, and just from the heart. I think that if we get more people like that who are willing to be selfless, not at the point of so much self-sacrificing, you know, because we have to be in tip-top shape for ourselves mentally and physically for us to help people, right? We have to be able to eat and live, too. But at the same time, as a city council member, I know it's incumbent upon me to look and bring people, look at and bring people out of the shadows and not for them to come into slaughter, but to say, listen, this is yours, too. I, I get it. You go home and you go to work and, and, and that's all you do and you might see your family occasionally, but you are not a robot. You are not an assembly line. You are a human being and you have a right to go and enjoy yourself. You have a right to go and congregate with people who, who you've never met before. There's every flavor of the world. Almost every world language is speaking in this city. You know, we have to desegregate ourselves and we have to be okay with being different because differences is what actually makes us stronger our common ground is great we should always work on that but to celebrate the differences and say well listen they feel this way about this but we draw the line at when your words become the type of words that inspire murder laws and policy that are detrimental to people who look like me or identify like me or along the spectrum of being marginalized and oppressed, you are not doing what you said you came to do. You know, for a long time, one one of my first questions to quite a few political candidates has been, so, you know, here's my question. Do you want to kill me? Nah. And, and... You know, nah. I know that about you. I don't have that. And then, you know, if, depending on their answer, if they say yes, then we're done. I don't really need to know anything else about them. And then my next thing is, okay, is there anybody you want to kill just because of who they are, what color they are, what religion they are? You know, if they're Muslim, what, there, is there anybody there? Because that's a disqualifier, too. Right. And, and if they answer those two in a way that I believe, okay, we can talk about issues. But I honestly don't care. Now, a lot of the uh, more political people used to think those were really odd questions, and I'd get all sorts of comments. Well, now they're all starting to say, you know, those are really good questions. Yeah, and it took for us to get a Trump in office for them to see the light, because we've been saying these things. Right, and those who that. want to kill us will say they do want to kill and, us. Yes. And the people you in know. this room were around yes. before yes. that. And yes. a lot of the things that people are saying and doing this other stuff, remember that there was a point back in 2017 and 2018, I would, I would go online because I would be ticked off. Oh, trans lives matter to you now. 
Mm-hmm. You making a mm. post. Right. You got that good filter right. on. But I, I remember when you were saying things. Uh-huh. Yeah. I remember uh-huh. that you're still saying those things. But trans lives matter to you, though? Mm-hmm. Are you part of a fad or do you give a damn? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and my, you know? when, when all the pushback and everything, you know, the, the well, Black Lives Matter, well, no, you know, all of that pushback. You know, my comments, and it's the way I really feel, is, look, right now, the black community has a really big problem. And it's bigger than anybody else's because police officers are murdering black men and black trans- the leading cause of black folk. Yes, and black trans people murdered. are being yeah. murdered. Yeah. And I'm like, mm. so that that's the focus. And you know what? If we fix that, it'll fix it for all of us. Right. You don't just have fix it. I mean, and and everyone's like, well, but they shouldn't say. I'm like. Who cares if it works and if we can get behind it and do something? But I don't think we've done anything. That's where people get hooked on is like what we should say, what we shouldn't say, how you should be, how you should not be. And we just like shit on people all day long and we never even get anywhere. And right. I really appreciate what you said. Like you've connected plenty of dots far more than most people will at their meet and greets and, and actually brought these topics together in a coherent way that includes really all levels of people, which I just think is Super, super impressive, but, or, and, um, I loved the solution that you just offered. It's like, it's, we are the most diversity in the world. We still have our silos. There is some protection in those spaces, but when we have to come together, we like don't know how to be. And that's when we're shooting on each other instead of saying, Hey, this is actually yours too. Like, we're not doing that. We're, right. We don't have transparency. We don't have leadership that's doing that. And we, like, you know, so it's just, it's practically unheard of. So a transparency is one thing, but actually the action of bringing those people together and then showing them how to be in a way that's welcoming is really missing. Yeah. And I appreciate you doing that because whether we're talking about gender 101s or you know, um, a lot of times allyship comes up and, you know, we basically overwhelm people that would care with all these new rules that we hardly even do ourselves, you know, if we're being honest. And so then all of a sudden we're like, oh, well, why don't we have allies anymore? Why don't we have people who care anymore? You know? And so I think there's a lot of gaps. them off. (laughs) I think there's a lot of gaps that people don't (laughs) see because they get hooked again on the shoulds and the, and, and whatever. But really we don't have people saying, how can we all come together? Like, I'm not actually trying to change you. I'm just here to appreciate and be with you. And, and then also we could determine upon, upon doing those right? things if you're detrimental to my health physically mm-hmm. or right. mentally right. with your belief system right. or lack thereof. Because that's when we when we when we actually find the point of the riff. Okay, we have all these things checked off, but these two things are something we need to address with each other. Mm-hmm. We know that there are some bad bad apples who are willfully ignorant and will do what they do. Right. But you work with the people who are willing to sit at the table with you. Right. And and sometimes, you know, sometimes it's always sitting right in front of you, the solution. And and even though, you know, I think about that little tarot card. I think it's like the one of cups or something like that. Sure. Or the four of cups. Okay. Well, one of the cups is being handed to the man like this and he's sitting under the tree. Uh-huh. Um, we can't stumbling not accept a cup that's being given to us unless it's detrimental to our health. I have to make that clear. If it is something that's going to cause you to <clears> self-sacrifice <throat> to the point that it, that it, and it damages your community, no, you should not be on board with that. But... If the cup that you're being offered has the juice in it that's supposed to be something that's beneficial to everybody, as simple as a shot of penicillin, then we need to use that. 
yeah, we all have to concede and make compromises. I have to concede and make compromises about a lot of things, a lot of times, as an individual person. Do I want this pack of chicken that costs $6.03, or do I want the pack of chicken that costs $6.10? Mm-hmm. Right, because it all matters. You don't know how people have to scrounge and how how we have to do this. And if we're trying to survive, and if we're trying to have food on our stomachs and a place to lay our heads, we can't be focused on all the other things. So there are people out there who don't know what these things mean, who don't know because they're not necessarily being willfully ignorant. They don't have access to the same type of phone we do. We we. We dare tell people text XOXXOX to XOXXOX and people have text messaging limits. They have limits on that data. You know, you think about the positionality of TSU with a fence around it, but UH is an open campus and surrounded in a predominantly black neighborhood. But thinking about the lack of access to in that in that neighborhood well, that's what i was right? gonna say not and, everyone has right, a phone mm-hmm. right and that's the point like <laughs> well large neighborhoods in houston don't even have internet access right or and, english or, or, access or, or fiber opt access mm-hmm. to where the lines actually run because mm-hmm. when you think about it we'll still operate on infrastructure that was built 30 and 40 years ago Old. when richmond and the beltway was the outskirts of houston and the highway <laughs> six in west time right or i'm sorry grand parkway and i-10 which is considered now houston along that those are halfway to san antonio right so understand of the 644 square miles of land that we sit on in this city who you're representing Right. <laughs> we have to make sure that all of those people are not disenfranchised. Like the people who live on the fringes of our city have the addresses that say Houston and can't even vote for mayor or a city council member. Right. Or any ordinances unless it's Harris County. That's right. all the suppression when you think about it. Because a lot of the people I've helped with housing vouchers are forced to move in those particular mm-hmm. areas yep. while they're Houstonians and getting assistance from Houston. They can't vote. Right. They can't contribute and and dictate their life in that way so it sounds like you're talking about houston should expand more i'm not sure i'm behind you what i'm telling you is (laughs) what i'm telling you is is i was hearing you should be friends with diane troutman (laughs) what i'm telling you is is that there are people who live in the city of houston that cannot vote in municipal elections that is not right that is voter suppression and the poorest people who have contributed and lived in the center of our city are now being pushed to the outskirts of our city. Okay, no, I, and we're I get going to be there. looking like Austin soon. Yeah. Yeah, okay. If we no, don't I, do I, I got what yeah. you're talking about now. Because I was like, uh, you know, just because post office gives them a Houston address doesn't mean they're Houston. I, I know that too well personally. Right. Uh, and, and that. But uh, yeah, and, and I, I think unique opportunity. one of the big things is A, I mean, we're diverse. Yeah, it you know it, it's not like we have a three percent population of this unless it's one of the like tenth groups or something. Right. Uh, we we have a very diverse population and our economy is good. Mm-hmm. And we have well, diverse no. problems. I mean, we've already covered air pollution, water, sewage, uh, large amounts of fines, <laughs> public transportation, uh, flooding issues. I'd also issues. look at the permit mean, parking as well. I would look at I would look at how the government. Oh, um, for example, <laughs> you're about to hit think, one of my hot spots. I think that the, I think that the <laughs> city, two things. Christmas. I think that the city during times of emergency, if they tow a car, the city should absorb the bill and pay the tow truck drivers and yes. tow the car and allow the person to get the car out. The city should just they, they should the they should be towing it for and protection of someone. That, I think about Montrose and how the area is growing more and more gentrified by cis heterosexual folks who 
don't like us around that, even though we've made that area what it is, for them to want to move, even move around there in oh, the first like, place. Like, Montrose used to be the red light district. And they like want to tell the us what they want, what they, they want like us to park. We contribute to the property value of that every time we walk into a JRS or, or a Hamburger mm-hmm. Mary's or any other place mm-hmm. in that area. Mm-hmm. And what I think about is chances. What mm-hmm. I think about is the the AIDS memorial <laughs> that is that was Tear. behind yeah Mary's. I think about I think about all Crossroads, these different places. Lobos, you know, we just but, miss but you. also, <laughs> but also seriously, yes. the AIDS memorial that was behind Blacksmith that got yes. paved over yes. as a parking lot yes. for mm-hmm. a coffee shop. Yes. and I have a problem with that. I have a huge right? problem with that. And then also, when you think about how how. People are treated in the area, and then we have to be told, "Oh, an area where you've been used to parking for most of your lifetime in Houston as an adult, you now can't park there because you don't have a permit." But yeah. you don't, you 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 have to have a permit for somebody who has a two car garage, <laughs> right? And then it's what about when your guests you, come? <laughs> now, now like, here's the yeah. remedy to that. Yeah. I think that the permit parking is fine. Right, but anybody but should be able to buy I a think, permit. I'm, right. I'm a citizen. I think right, and that's the <laughs> other thing. I think we should be able to get the permit if we so you if we if we commute that area just like with a credit union, we should be able to get a permit. Yeah. But I would also yeah. say the remedy to that is is when, for example, I live by NRG. I think that the parking on Westridge and Hearth and Bartell between uh, between South Main and Kirby, mm-hmm. all of it should be permit parking. Uh-huh. Right, and then. The rodeo and whoever's Harris County and whoever's running the NRG property uh-huh. need to build parking garages. Okay. Okay. Multi-levels. Instead of having people trying to, when you're trying to get to your apartment and you can't even turn into your complex mm-hmm. because people right. are looking for someone to illegally park. Uh huh. Right, parking in front of fire hydrants, trying to park in our apartment complex and having to tow people who come from the Woodlands and all these other different areas. Yeah, come on, spend your money in Houston. But don't disrespect the people who lived here. Mm-hmm. The who right. live here. Yeah. Don't right. disrespect those what people. What? So, what, so what I'm saying is is if, if yeah. the if the uppity well to do folks can have the parking permits, we should damn have them too. Well, and we should have them in the areas, especially around NRG, around um around the residential areas, around Almeda and all this other stuff. I think that I think that what needs to happen is that needs to be some form of permit parking for poor folks too so that when we get our permits they should be free and they should denote that we live here just like when you go to an apartment complex and they give you right. the, the thing to put yeah, in your residence. windshield yeah. listen protect the residents i get it the revenue is cute and fine but i know that living in new orleans growing up around Mardi Gras, both of the houses i grew up in are right off the parade routes but we always were able to park in front of our own door without even having a permit ordinance and that's when two million extra people were converged on the city at every different point right right yeah, the, the, so the, the big thing with permits that still tweaks me more than what yeah. you were saying is that more than what the, he and, was and saying? The, oh, yeah. oh yeah, because you get a citation too. You get you not only get told and you have to pay you pay to get right. told. Yeah, you get you have citation. to pay a ticket. But yes. here's the, here's yes. the thing: like a, yes, there are several horrible. streets around Montrose that have permit parking only. They're always empty because mm-hmm. the people who went down and petitioned to have permit parking moved in don't want to pay the fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they park in all the non-permit spaces. Uh-huh. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. And the interesting thing, there, there's a couple of laws. One of them is the you know road hump laws or the yeah. the you know speed bump type stuff, which I, it's caused more wrecks on my street than it's helped, <laughs> and it really has. Uh, and the other law because is, of their positioning is is oh well, yeah, yeah it's bad, but is the permit parking law. There's no there's nothing in the law about how you get rid of permit parking. Right. It tells you how you get it. Right. And 
you can't go down and say, okay, I, w- I want to bring this back up and go with it. And I'm like, you know, any law that, that says the citizens can request something and they'll do their <laughs> surveys and then put it in, there has to be either like an every 10 year or a, if you want to get rid of it, here's how you get rid of it. Right. Cause there isn't one because I've tried. <laughs> and, and, and that to me is one of the real problems, unless you're going to have a sunset on it. You know, the, the city changes There's a, a lot. lot of things we need to sunset. Yeah. Now, you know, you, you were talking about the parking and the cars. Uh, you know, recently, the way the city's going is to say, oh, we aren't going to require any parking for businesses right. in a bigger and bigger area. And, and I'm like, that makes so no sense. we're just going to have people circling more the towing, block more and more and parking illegally more and more. I will never buy anything ever again. I, I tell people straight up, like, don't to. invite me to places where there's not parking. That's what it'll come right. to. And That's also, a, yeah. like, I don't really have a credit card, so and I can't right. pay and, yeah. right. an ATM. And, like and, a, and that tells you what privilege looks like, right? Uh, yes. you not an ATM, you, you know what I mean. Socioeconomic parking meter. Pri- yeah. yeah. When you think about socioeconomic right. privilege, that looks like assuming that everybody's a commuter in the transit sense, but your stuff is in areas where the buses don't run like that. Mm-hmm. So you can't act as if this is a, something that people can walk to unless you're preparing to have something where people who already live around there and gentrify the area and you know and have moved in and push people who are minorities out where they can just walk out of their house that they got no doubt from someone who was behind on their property taxes through the county government for a dollar mm. on a, Imagine for that. a penny on a dollar. No, no, that and, was you know, that was before they tore it down and built <laughs> yeah. a lot right. more houses. Yeah. There. you see what I'm saying? So yeah. it's like. Are you preparing to for, for what's coming because you think there's a clientele that you're trying to build and the clientele is more more liable to use the credit card and more liable to just be able to walk down the street to you like a, a street a corner store or a bodega right mm-hmm. you we, we we need to make sure that we are taking care of the neighborhoods properly and actually honoring what the, each neighborhood and area of the city needs in that in that context and you know yeah, and, that, and that doesn't that mean thing. you can't remodel you can't build nicer neighborhoods right. or anything else it just means don't kill off the people that are there right uh, and, and that sort of thing right because you know i know people who lived in brooklyn on their lives and one, one friend had a police officer called on him because he was walking up to the hbc uh, hsbc atm and i'm thinking to myself this dude been living around here you just got here and you're like quiet but listen just because you grew up with a white picket fence and a 4.5 bedroom house with three and a half baths and a nice backyard with maybe a pool in it and a two-car garage and your mama them provided for you does not mean you have the right to demand quiet from a city that's super loud you came from bumfuck egypt you need to acclimatize. It's time for you to acclimatize. It's time for you to assimilate, not us. You know. So when addressing these issues, <laughs> see, see my segue into my next question. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, how do you handle respectability politics in activism and in politics? And how do you feel respectability politics impact minority communities and their representation? I'll start with the impact first. It kills us. You can go and get a degree from anywhere you want to, but you're still black or brown. You can go and get a degree from anywhere you want to, but if you're a woman, you're still going to get paid less than a man. If you're a black woman, you're going to get paid less than the white woman. So on and so forth. Or if you're trans along any persuasion, you can pay less than every fucking body. But I mean, the real do you even tr- get hired? Right. <laughs> right. Well, exactly. You may get, you exactly. may get that interview, but once but, you slide that driver's but, license but the, across the table, they'll be like, oh, well, well, 
call you back. But there are trans people who are working. Yes. And we also have to acknowledge that they few. still need protection. They absolutely and they, do. They still need to be acknowledged. They right? absolutely so, do. But at the same time, you know, uh, so I don't lose my train of thought. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I was thinking in the context in the vein of... Um, no, repeat the question. For respectability politics. So respectability politics, it kills us. So the thing about this is, is that when someone tells you how you should dress, how you should walk, how you should talk, they automatically forget about the fact that this person really actually does come with intelligence. And just because they don't sound like you or enunciate or pronounce words or or walk a certain way, or were part of your Jack and Jills and your debutante societies and your fraternities and your sororities, you know, that they're just as good as you, if not better. It just means that you had a better life chance and you basically were lazy and afraid of your own success and now you're shitting on a little man, okay, a person. And what needs to happen in the in the intra community sense is we need to stop policing how people express their anger. The angry black man trope, the angry white black I'm sorry, angry black woman trope of that, you know, rooted in white supremacy and racism says that you can't redefine a certain way. But here's the thing. When you constantly have people doing shit to you and you're constantly being bombarded with policy over decades of your life that have been permeating since before your great great grandmother and grandparents were born you have no choice but to be angry. And nobody has a right to tell you how to express yourself. If you're not physically harming anybody and you're saying what you need to say and they're shitting bricks and they're losing sleep over it, it means that you've made them uncomfortable and you've identified the fact that you know that they know that they're fucking you over. And at the same time, it's just okay to be yourself. And this is how you get to know who your real friends are. Don't be afraid to be alone anymore because as soon as you let go of those things, you will find your tribe. And a lot of people who survive like us are surrounded by chosen family. And those people get us through the times that are rough. Even if we don't get to talk all the time, even if we've been on different sides of the fence, we are there for each other. We hold each other's hands. And what needs to happen is is those people who feel like they should tone police and tell people how to regurgitate certain topics and different things like that, that's for you, boo. Okay, argue with your mama, but I could care less about how you feel about the way I'm talking because at the moment that I'm talking about lived experience, I have to convey it the best way I know how based on my non-anecdotal experience as a person that exists in this in this in, in this presence and then it's in this moment where i am mentally and physically right and then you take that and you turn it around and say you know what we can no longer go by capitalistic measurements and white male measurements that are two and three hundred years old to measure ourselves and other people we actually have to look at people holistically and see where we can meet them and if we can accommodate the different things that everybody needs. We can do that without somebody saying, well, you know, if you come in and you have said it like that this time, well, listen, especially in terms of politics and politicians and, and leaders um, in the community, oftentimes we all have gotten a call about, you shouldn't have said that like that, or you could have said it like this, or you, you, you walked out too soon. You don't get to tell me when and where I get to walk away from my oppression. You don't get to tell me how I address my oppression. I get to define my anger. I get to design, decide what 
and how I react for myself and how to handle the consequences that come with it, whether it be good or bad. But you don't have the right to take away my personal autonomy. You worry about what's in your house. Okay, you're not. Don't worry about who I'm sleeping with. Don't worry about where I work. Don't worry about what's in my pocket. You worry about you. And even if you came along to help me, you still don't get to weigh my personal autonomy. You still don't get to take away my personal autonomy. You still don't get to get to take away my identity and who I am. Right. And that's what respectability politics and how we that's what I feel about respectability politics and how we should address it, because it does kill people. It does put people in precarious positions. And now we have people who are running around playing the game, spinning their wheels, doing the best job and training everybody who comes in after two weeks only for them to be promoted to their manager while they sit stagnant. Right. And, and along along other lines of, of respectability politics as well. Another one would be, you know, how I'm not religious. I'm an atheist openly so. And how when I've worked at particular jobs, they... Oh, yeah, it's Ashton, you're single, or you don't believe in this, so you should work. No, I get to have time off, too. No, I get to go and pay my bills, too. Just because Charlie had uh, triplets and forgot to pull out is not my problem, and and his emergency is not mine, okay? Your emergency ain't my emergency. I got a light, too, and I got shit to do. Go and find somebody else to push over. And people can find you where? Ashton P. Woods for Houston.com. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Maybe on Snapchat in a few days. At Ashton P. Woods on all platforms. And you can also um, sign up to volunteer or contribute at our website. And if you were in the nation, you can donate. If you were out of the nation, just share his stuff. Yeah, but you can donate to us because we really like you. (laughs) Yes, we have a Patreon. We have Patreon, which pays for most of the things that we do. And you can find that on the Trans Advocate website and donate to us there i have one more question though i mean we we might as well get everybody in trouble here so we we have this uh presidential campaign running what's up on elizabeth warren and and julian castro right now okay that that was my question well that wasn't bad all right done i've been very unafraid about who i'm going to support i'm going to go with people who are unafraid to say what needs to be said take a position and actually implement that and their bodies of work actually have a track record even with some decisions i disagree with there's still the track record of people who actually care and have actually put their heart into this and you know elizabeth warren reminds me of every favorite professor that i've had that have been radical as hell and actually knows how to <laughs> get true. things done yeah, well you know because my question which you know people have heard before is given the slate that's that's there and the number of candidates on the democratic side how in the heck did the two front runners end up being old white guys one of whom's not a democrat Oh, that's easy because <laughs> some people have a love affair with old white men. They and do? I, I haven't think, found that. I, think, I guess it's because I'm halfway in between man and well, woman. <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. You still get discriminated and misgendered, right? Oh, yeah. Whereas a cishet man who can walk around and do all these different things and be mediocre and not achieve anything because everything they have is handed to them, or even if they're poor, their life chances via white supremacy is still increased exponentially more than the poor person, black person, or brown person living next to them. That is a real, realistic and verifiable by stat fact. Yeah, absolutely. Right? I mean, and I would and throw, I would throw gender variant in there of course, also. You know, of course, it, it's because like, because also you know a lot of times I always have to spend time telling folks that if you a white woman, whether you are cis or trans, 
or your white in general, your marginalization does not absolve you of your place in white privilege. And even if you're acknowledging and, and, and you are, are doing the work, there are other people who you should be addressing when you can. And I also tell people who are in allyship mode or, or who are accomplices or comrades to take the time to take care of yourself. Because I've had to tell people, yes, you don't look like me, yes, but you also have your own mental health to contend with. I get it, you want to protect me as a black person or an LGBT person who happens to be black or living with HIV. At the same time, there has to be a limit for all of us where we sit back before everything, before we get disheveled and, and this, you know, turned off about a lot of different things that's happening to folks. Sometimes it's not about the fact that we don't necessarily see some folks as an ally because the first thing that that we we should be telling people is you don't get to call yourself an ally unless the people who you are claiming allyship towards see you doing the work and putting your money where your mouth is and actually getting in and working with us and getting dirty with us and breaking bread with us and existing with us and not muting the fact that you are who you are but then on the flip side we also need to make sure that people who are allies have the tools that they need so that they can address the folks because at this point in 2019 it should not be black people explaining to white people about racism it should be white people talking to white people one-on-one it should be black people black men talking to black men one-on-one about misogyny it should be men in general talking about misogyny patriarchy talking to other men regardless of their gender identity or sexual orientation um you know or or even if they're non-binary or you know masculine of center or people who who are rooted in masculinity i should say should be having conversations with each other about the anti-feminist of film, not not in the context of true feminism. I mean, like, the fact that some folks just don't like femininity, a femophobia, and how they apply that to people who they feel in their head are male-identified to them because they're too ignorant to listen and accept people as they are um, and actually sit, you know, and actually acknowledge this is who this person is because of ego and all these other things right and penis envy who knows i don't know but the thing is is that it's time for folks to take care of themselves in lieu of making sure they're doing the work but also listening and then when you're done cussing out the people who look like you you bring the people who you defended into the room so they can talk for themselves and they know what questions to ask and how to ask and after they've sat down shut up and listened because I I know somebody was mad at me at the caucus meeting when I said shut the, shut the fuck up and sit down. When black There's and brown person. people are talking, <laughs> and you are taking over a space of LGBTQ folks, because what I what the message to me was overall was that how I've always felt about the caucus. I'm I'm good enough to work with you and get things done and lend my name to your shit. For, for you know to, to push your stuff out but I'm not good enough for you to endorse or support because I'm other and less than a human because I'm too black and I'm too gay and I'm too poor and I'm too loud and it shakes you the fuck up you shook stay yeah. shook <laughs> <laughs> stay shook yeah all I can say is I was there trust me yeah <laughs> you know? yeah Kuma did you have any closing remarks anything you want to say as a co-host for today um, two things. Uh, one, then, so this next question, I feel like we might, we may not have enough time to really, really talk about all, everything that could be said. But you are openly HIV positive. Yes. And I feel like in the past, just in my lifetime, I, so I was born in 86-ish. Mm-hmm. So I've always existed in a world where HIV has existed. 
mm-hmm. right? And in within my lifetime, it seems like we've we've gone from talking about people like quote dying of HIV to quote living with HIV, and now because HIV seems doesn't like, kill people, right? But now what I'm seeing is no discussion of people living with HIV, mm-hmm. and everything is centered around prep, right? So I want to know what your feelings on that as an HIV positive person is, and I guess what what are your plans to address HIV and or prep access and medicine access in general because everything's centered around prep access but nobody's talking right. about medication access for pos right. people right so, so please hmm. discuss <laughs> Take hmm. the mic. so listen okay here's the first thing first and foremost hiv does not kill people hiv progresses to a disease or syndrome called aids there are 15, 16, 17, and 18-year-olds who are dying every day from an AIDS diagnosis because they didn't know they had HIV because they're sexually active. And our puritanical-ass education systems will not educate them not only about sex in the scientific sense, but sex in a romantic sense, sex in the sense of procreation, sex in the sense of just sex for the sake of sex. And we're still not talking about the fact that we are a society of human beings that loves to fuck. And until we're talking about the fact that we like to fuck and how we like to fuck and who we like to fuck, we are going to be spinning our wheels. So, in that vein, I plan on being in your face. You know, when y'all met me, some of the first things they used to say is, my name is Ashton P. Woods. I'm black. I'm gay. I'm an atheist. And I'm HIV positive. And people used to be pissed. <laughs> but, why, good. but why did I say that? <laughs> you didn't have to say all of that. Yes, I did. Because it made you uncomfortable. Because you didn't understand what it is. And now you know. And now the responsibility is on you to find out what I was talking about. If I don't have time to explain it to you. Right? And then on top of that. As far as education is concerned. I think that the city of Houston, Harris County State needs to revamp all of the education materials. And possibly bring in new minds and fresh bodies to actually talk about those issues because right now it's the status quo. And it's always the same people with the same revolving door and the same boys doing the same stuff in, in terms of HIV. And those people need to be shut the fuck out. Or told to, to sit in the corner. Yeah, you're still here, but now make room for some more folks. Step aside and talk to the people who are, are closest to the problem and bring those people in. And making sure that when I talk about those jobs. When I talked about a healthcare network earlier, that also includes looking at holistically educating people. There needs to be a program in every school on every street corner talking about, hey, this is what this is, right? It's no different from taking a postcard and saying, these are your renter's rights, and sending them to a bunch of people who rent apartments and say, oh, I didn't know that. I've been waiting for my AC to be fixed for two weeks. I didn't know I can get it fixed myself or I don't have to pay my rent if they don't pay. You know, those types of things. It's about teaching people their rights and how and to know how to know where to go and who to talk to, who to be mad at or who to be happy with for that matter to get the help that they need. And I think that's on a on a general basis. But in terms of HIV, I remember when I was diagnosed because I had a different education about HIV. I understood it a little bit better. But when I was being made to come and visit these different uh, to these different apartments, like 
for example, I was with St. Hope for a little while, and they wanted me to come in like four times in one week. Come take this class. Come do this. But bring the insurance card. So you're charging people who have insurance exponentially, and then you're treating us like we don't know nothing. You're talking to us like cattle. You're asking us the wrong questions on your surveys, and you have wrong metrics. And we have to come up with a way that doesn't require um, reliance on funding sources that are religious-based or different things that where you have to meet criteria. And we also have to talk about the elephant in the room, which is that there are cishet people living with HIV who are getting just the least attention and that HIV now is not just not the, the gay man's disease, it's also not the black gay man's disease, right? And we got to talk about that because... HIV is a virus, not a disease, right? And then you, it's as simple as the analogy of you can compare it to cancer. It's an immunosuppressant to your system. You have to do things a little bit differently. And there are a lot of people who live with HIV. I'm an 11-year survivor of HIV already. But look at all of the people who are still alive from back in the day, who live right here in the city, who have made history around this country. People like Vanita Ray and, you know, all these folks who have done the work, who are now being relegated to the corners and the fringes because, oh, well, you know, treatment is prevention. Okay, well, yeah, we can get people to zero and undetectable and, and freeze, freeze infections, but y'all need to be looking for a cure. And y'all need to be looking at reducing the funds. So we need to look at how we would take and apply grant funds to city-funded events. Uh, I'm sorry, city-funded care through those healthcare networks that I mentioned and how we partner with other entities. And we also need to make sure that we improve our access and, and flip the coin. So instead of having just HAPWA and different uh, uh, programs where we should still have those, we should create programs like that for people who don't have HIV, right? Because if you see that we're creating an even playing field, the less likely you are to say that someone with HIV is getting special treatment when we're not, when we have to sit out, sit for hours and fill out forms, when we need help and rental assistance and we got to go through all these rigmaroles to get ADAP and all these other things to pay for our $3,000 a month medications. People need to understand these things like how you're more dangerous to me than I am to you because I have the compromised immune system and you're scared to drink behind me. No, I'm scared to drink behind you. You are the threat to my life. And if we start talking about it in that way, yeah, the conversations are happening. And people will be like, oh, well, I never thought about it like that. Because you don't fucking think. You want people to think for you. This is not Best Buy or Costco where they put two things side by side and you have to choose this or the other. Right? We're not going to make that choice for you. You have a responsibility as a human being to other people, as a contributor to society, to not be an ignorant jackass. We had time. Yeah. <laughs> what was your other question? I mean, so I could, real quickly, one I of the things that I you could, didn't that you didn't really touch on yeah. uh, with that question was in regards to the focus on prep. Oh yeah, uh, I would definitely remove the focus from prep. I would definitely, if, if we're going to talk about prep like that, we need to be talking about both, right? Mm -hmm. We still need to be talking about making sure that we have support groups. We still need to make sure that people understand what being zero discordant means, right? Meaning one person is positive, one person is not, or HIV positive for folks who don't know what POZ means. Um, I like to call it a magnetic relationship. Yeah, one is positive, one, one is, is negative. negative. Yes, <laughs> yes. Okay. But the thing about it is, is this, when we're talking about prep, we, we know that people are being left behind. We know this, but 
the other piece of this is, is if we're going to talk about prep, a good prep is, is having dr- clean drug needles. A good prep program is making sure that we're talking to parents who are living with HIV, who are ready to give birth to a child, and how to handle that so that that child doesn't necessarily contract HIV after you give birth to them. Right? That's a reproductive issue there. That Listen. Yeah. And now don't even get me started on people who, trans people who live with HIV, who also have to worry about reproductive rights, right? And have to get certain things checked and have to have conversations that are strange with doctors who are culturally incompetent. So what I would go with that is this. We should be talking about cultural in- incompetence. We should be talking about education. And not only that, we need to be requiring anybody who practices health in the city to understand how HIV works, right? Because there's still dentists out there who, who won't see someone that's HIV positive. There's still mm-hmm. primary care physicians who won't see someone who is HIV positive because they'll you hide behind the excuse they don't know. But you went through medical school in the 90s. You had to know about this because you have somebody that comes to us before you bring your behind out there to to discharge us to fill out paperwork with a patient's bill of rights. And that patient's bill of rights came from the Denver principles when HIV positive people and people living with AIDS disrupted a conference about them that didn't include them or, or, or had their voices in it, which sparked the phrase, nothing about us without us. And that's where I stand on that. Yeah, I think the one thing that I see is that there's an awful lot of people that want to solve the problem, but only mm-hmm. their way. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! Yes, and, and, Said I'm, the black and, and I'm like, you know, the problem is your way doesn't work. I mean, it, it yeah. it's like the Nancy Reagan. Oh, just say no, right? Uh, and you can't and just that, say that, no. That, that's nice. They but, gonna do it. Yeah, and 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 it's like no, you know, the problem. You need to actually figure out right. what it is first, right? And, and it, would you stop screwing somebody if it felt that good? Yeah, it, that's the whole thing. And and if someone says, "Oh, well, the way to prevent AIDS is nobody have sex," well, there's another <laughs> downside to that. But we got to stop saying prevent AIDS because most people don't progress to AIDS. People yeah. are living with HIV, and HIV right. and AIDS are two different things. Right. Yep. And we need to have yeah. more more education that is pleasure focused yes. because everything is if you about- don't want to wear rubber here's how you can use lube so mm. that you don't create any tears in your vagina or your anus or on your penis or whatever apparatus you use here's how you here if, if your person doesn't like to wear rubbers here's how you can use female condoms gay men <laughs> Exactly. Here's how you can here's how you can do mm-hmm. these things. Here's how we can stop labeling things male and female as opposed to saying everybody sucks everybody knows. I'm not saying everybody loves that. But <laughs> I mean, there are things that everybody happen. at the table is nodding, right. by the way. You know what I'm saying? So like well, if we don't talk we about the a, fact that yeah. we like the fuck and how we like the fuck is what I preface with, <laughs> we will have this problem. Mm-hmm. We have to have a sex positive society in order to do that. And if we can't talk about the fact that you like when somebody touch you right there and this, that, and the other, and how that could affect you after the fact, or what, what you might, would you, are you allergic to latex? Are you, do you have all these different issues that can exacerbate other issues? You're what, basically you know, taking us so, to the church we want to attend. Yeah. And I just think that in Houston, Back to transparency and rates, you know, first of all, like we're not talking about rates that are actually currently happening in Houston, infection rates. And we're actually not talking about diabetic rates. Like we're not talking about like we can hashtag self-care, but like people don't even know. Like the increased risk for heart heart attack and diabetes when you're living with HIV. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Cholesterol. And like you said, the people who don't have insurance can sit in a waiting room and have, uh, stroke stroke issues and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And some of those could have been, um, helped had they actually been seen you know well, so it goes on 
on and on, but I mm-hmm. I, I definitely want to wrap up at some point. And, I have to go you know, to. Yeah. yeah, one, because we're, I mean, come on. Yeah, but it doesn't mean you can't come back. I will back. come back. Yeah, okay. <laughs> was, there, was there something that you really wanted to talk about that we did not address? Honestly, I think we addressed everything. I will say this, though. Early voting starts in October. Election day is on November 5th of 2019, for those of you who live in the city of Houston. I turned 35 on November 5th. It was also my birthday. So, so so you want a birthday present? Yes. So vote for me for my birthday. <laughs> Don't send $5 yes. to my PayPal okay. unless you send it to my AgBlue account to help me buy materials to reach the people. Because we will be knocking the doors of the everyday people, not the doors of the, of the associations and the clubs who don't represent the people. But the people will be talked to. And every time you contribute and support Ash for H-O-U or Ashton People, it's me. You are supporting the people because I'm here for you. I'm a service to my community, and this is your campaign. Thank you. Beautiful. Bye. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Trans Advocate Podcast. We are a project of the Transgender Foundation of America, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Your support makes what we do possible. Resistance means nothing without supporting elected officials who won't attack trans, intersex, and queer children in our schools. They can't vote, so you're going to have to do it for them. If you live in the U.S. and are not registered to vote, we can help you with that at our site. Register and vote, no matter what. The Trans Advocate Podcast was produced by Kristen Williams. All rights reserved. The Trans Advocate is a project of the Transgender Foundation of America, a 501c3 nonprofit. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Trans Advocate or the Transgender Foundation of America.